You can be seated. I won't make you stand for the whole message. It should have been an amen right there. That would have been a good spot for an amen. Hey, welcome to church this morning. So glad that you took time out of your weekend to be here. Uh, some of you are here because you're praying for the Colts to win a game today. Come on now. I know. I know some of you are here begging the Lord to let the Colts win this first game of the season. I was looking on social media and was just watching the comments of Colts fans of just how hopeful they are for this season. So we'll see how it plays out. I do want to thank you for being here this morning. And in particular, I want to just take a minute to welcome those who are joining us online and just say a special uh, thank you for being here. I know that uh, some of you are joining us from your couch, you're in your living room, you've got it on the TV. Others of you might have your device sit up on your kitchen table there. Some of you are uh, maybe on vacation and you're watching from a hotel room. Others of you might be sitting in your chair at the assisted living facility. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time to be here with us. And for those of us here in the room, could we just show a little love to the online congregation and just welcome them? Well, last week we started a brand new series called The Discipleship Pathway, and we uh, kicked that off with a message uh, where we talked about following Jesus, and we said that that was the uh, kind of first step in the process, that we have to reorient our lives because the Christian faith at the end of the day is all about following Jesus. And we specifically talked last week about how when we decide to follow Jesus, we experience forgiveness. Right? We get a brand new start. The old is gone and the new is here. And then we talked about how we turn our attention to the teachings of Jesus. We learn the will of God and the way of God. And we, we do that by engaging the word of God. And we, we talked about how that builds a foundation upon which our life can be built. And then we said as we continue to follow Jesus, we find freedom in him. He frees us from the sin that so easily trips us up and keeps us back from what God wants from us. And at the end of last week's message, uh, I gave an opportunity for people to respond to follow Jesus. And I just wanted to let you know that we had four people last Sunday who raised their hand and said, I want to start following Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's worth clapping for right there. And I wanted to just, maybe if I could, take just a moment before we get into today's message to tell you one story uh, from last week. So uh, I asked people at the end, if you raise your hand, come forward. And I had an opportunity to have a couple conversations right after church with people who would raise their hands. And I sat down here with one young lady who is not from here. She doesn't live here. She was actually visiting a friend from out of town who herself is a new person at our church. And uh, she came to our church because she was here to see her friend. And uh, she came into the service. And you just have to know about this individual that uh, all of her experiences of church, there were only a few in her past, but they weren't good ones. Every time she'd gone to church, she'd felt judged, she'd felt condemned, she'd felt looked down upon for the way she looked, for the lifestyle choices she had made, for for just kind of who she was as a person. She just always felt like that was the church's kind of demeanor towards her was one of judgment and condemnation. And as we sat down here and talked last Sunday right after church, she said to me, this is the, this is the most loved that I've ever felt in church. 
And as we talked about that, she said, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I'm not even from here. I don't even know anybody here. And I walked in, and people talked to me. And when they talked to me, they didn't talk to me to judge me or condemn me. They just talked to me like they, like, wanted to know me. And I said, well, you know, I'm so glad to hear that because as a pastor, like one of the things that we think is really important here at Lakeview Church is creating an environment of radical hospitality. We want everybody to feel welcomed and accepted and comfortable. We want this to be an everyday church for everyday people where you can just come and find your place here in our community. And she said, well, you got to make sure you tell your church that they did it. They did it. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. And as we talk some more, she, she said this, and, and this is what really what I wanna, want you to hear this morning. She said, because the church was so welcoming, I was able to really hear the message of Jesus. That's why we think it's so very important to build a culture that has wonderful first impressions. We want everybody who walks into this building to be welcomed, to be greeted, to be accepted. We want them to not feel judged or condemned in any way, regardless of who they are or where they're at in their journey. Just everybody's welcome. We want everybody to feel like they can find a place here in this community, and we can diligently provide that. I mean, we got to work on that. We got to be friendly and caring, and we got to smile. Some of you do a good job at that. Some of you are still in training, but it's okay. We got to smile. We got to be friendly. We can do that. That's our job. Right? And we can create services, which we diligently try to do, which, which balance this reality that we want every worship service here to be a place where people can experience the presence of God. But we also want to create services that lost people love to attend. It's not just about creating services that church people love to attend. We want to create services that people who are far, far away from God can come in here and, and experience the presence of God, yes, but we want it to be fun and we want it to be enjoyable and we want it to be comfortable for people because we want the only barrier for people to be the gospel, right? We want, if they come up to the barrier of the gospel and they say, no, I, I can't, can't do that, well, that's fine. Because we're not going to change the gospel, but we can change everything else to make the runway to the gospel smooth and clear and plain, and we can diligently do that, and we should as a church. That's our job. That's our mission. It's our calling. And we diligently do our part, right? We welcome people. We create this environment. We, we design services that lost people love to attend, and then we pray like crazy for the God of the universe to open our eyes and enlighten our hearts so that we can know him in this space. And if we're diligent to do our part and if we depend on God to do his part, guess what happens? We get a front row seat like we had last Sunday to see lives changed. And I just want to let you know that's why I do what I do. I just want to see lives changed. I just want to see people start to follow Jesus because he is the most important person for them to connect their lives to. And he is the most important decision any one of us will make. That's why we do what we do. 
So I want to just thank you for being a radically hospitable church. You played a role last week in helping someone find Jesus for the first time. So thank you. Can we give God some praise this morning? I want to talk to you about the second part of the discipleship pathway because people who follow Jesus over time begin to live generously. And that's really the second part of the discipleship pathway. We follow Jesus and the more that we fix our eyes on him and we begin to journey with him to become like him, our lives go from being a life that kind of is turned in on itself to being a life that opens up. That's what happens in discipleship. We follow Jesus, and then we begin to live generously. Remember, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 all through this series, and though it wasn't read for us today, I want to take you back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to draw your attention to verse 15. Because in verse 15, what we read is that the reason that Jesus died for us is so that we would no longer live for ourselves but we would live for him because he died and was raised again. There are two key ideas that I want to put in front of you right at the beginning of this message today because I think it it kind of lays out this step in the discipleship process. You see, when we follow Jesus, here's what happens. The longer we follow Jesus, the less we live for ourselves. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you still find yourself being selfish and and only thinking about your own interests and your own desires and what you want and what you long for for your life, and you don't think more about him and more about other people, something has gone wrong in your spiritual journey. Because when you follow Jesus, the whole reason Jesus died and was raised again is so that we would actually live for ourselves less. We would actually realize that we're not as important as we think we are. That we would would actually, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. Why? So he can increase. Right? The longer you follow Jesus, the less you will live for yourself. And second point. The longer you live for Jesus, the more you will live for him. This is what happens in the discipleship journey. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You start running this race with him. You're you're learning from his word. You're learning from his ways. You're living as a new creation. You're, You're moving into freedom. You're finding freedom from the sin that's holding you captive. And as all of that's happening, guess what happens? You stop living for yourself and you start living for him. See, people who follow Jesus, they live generously. It becomes less about them, and it becomes more about Jesus. And this makes sense, right? Because Jesus was generous, right? We read it in Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but instead he made himself nothing. He emptied himself, and he took on human form. He became a servant, and as a servant, he became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross, 
And God gave him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the passage that was read for us just a few moments ago. And right in the heart of that passage, what we discover is that Jesus himself, who was God, comes to this earth, and if anybody has a right to come to this earth and make himself the center of attention, it's Jesus, right? He could do it, and it wouldn't be incorrect. It wouldn't be wrong. It wouldn't even be awkward, Jesus could come in to this earth and say, worship me. And we should, because he's God. But what does Jesus do? Jesus does not hold on to his rights to be God. Instead, he empties himself. He, he gets rid of his divine privileges. Why? So that he can take on human form and set an example of servanthood and submission, and sacrifice. This is who Jesus is. Jesus himself is generous. When you think about it, the generosity of God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And Jesus so loved us that he willingly came. And even when he didn't want to go to the cross, remember when Jesus prayed? Father, if there's any way that we can have another plan, could, could that work out? But then Jesus says, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is generous. Which means if we are followers of Jesus, we too will live generously. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus wants for our so I want to take just a few minutes, the few minutes we've got left in this service, and talk about three moves that happen in our lives as we follow Jesus. And these three moves are the things that occur inside of our souls and lives that actually make us more generous. First, when we live generously, it moves us from consumer to steward. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not an economist, I did take one class on economics, and that was enough for me. I do remember we read a book, Economics in One Lesson, the little blue book. I remember reading that. I'm not an economist. I don't, uh, I don't play one on TV, and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> but what I know is that our economy is built around consumption, this is why when we want to stimulate our economy, we give back some of our tax dollars. We get them back in our hands. Why? Because the government knows what we will do with the money that they put back in our hands. We will spend it on things we want or things that we need. We'll take that trip that we've wanted to take. We'll buy the new car. We'll get the Apple Watch. 
Because we've got the money, we now can consume more things into our lives. And, and so, so that's how the government stimulates the economy. They give us money so we can buy things that we want or things that we need. That's how our economy works. And so we grow up in this culture, if you grew up here in North America, in the United States, you grew up in a culture that said, you're at the center It's about what you want. It's about what you need. And then we employ marketing companies in our culture to tell us how badly we need and want the things that we did not know we need or want. This is their job, right? So they find the image that they want to create, the one that connects with your brain and the way that you think and feel. And they they want you to see yourself driving that car. Right? For me, it's the Range Rover. They, they've, they, they know how my brain works because they just, they just make me want one. Right? That's how it works. And, and that's the culture we grow up in. Right? And so we, we put ourselves at the center and we think about how do we get what we need and then how do we get what we want? And so we work hard. Some of us take multiple jobs because we have extra needs and we're trying to figure out how to make the ends meet. And and it's all about us. We're at the center of that. Except here's the reality. In Christian faith, we're not at the center. Because we don't earn our own living. We don't create our own talents and abilities. We don't find our own sustenance in this life. See, one of the things the Christian faith teaches us is that, in fact, God is the one who created everything, and God is the one who owns everything. And so everything that we have doesn't come from our hard work. And some of you are like, I disagree. I worked hard for what I have. And I just want to remind you that you may have worked hard, but God gave you the ability to work hard. And he gave you the opportunity to do what you do when you work hard. And he made it possible for someone to pay you for that so that you could take those resources and buy what you buy so that you can have what you need and what you want. See, Christian faith moves us from consumer to steward. And it all begins in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. We got to go back to this verse in our culture because we are messing so many things up in our world right now. Because we've forgotten that God sits at the beginning of every person's life And he sits at the beginning of everything that exists. we got to go back to this foundational teaching. Because when we start playing with creation and we start playing with this world, guess what we're doing? We're saying that, number one, God might not be the creator. And number two, we're saying that if he is the creator, he doesn't know what he's doing. we got to recover this foundational teaching of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. God is the source of everything that exists period. The psalmist picked up on this and said, not only does God create everything, but God owns everything. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it, the world and all of its people belong to him. God is the creator and owner of everything that is. He is the creator and owner of your life. 
Whether you acknowledge him or not, that truth remains. He created you. And he is Lord over your life and over everything on this earth. So what does that mean? It means that we are not here to consume. We are here to manage. We are stewards. Because everything comes from God. Even the things that we possess, our our homes, our cars, our clothes, our, our stuff doesn't come from us. We didn't create it and we don't own it. Even if we bought it, even if we possess it, it's not ours. It belongs to God because he's the creator and he's the owner, which means in our lives, we're not just here to consume. We're here to manage it. We say, God, how do you want me to take these resources and use them in a way that honors you. Jesus taught on this principle in Matthew 25. He told a story. He said there's a master, and he went away on a journey, called his servants, gave them resources, and he entrusted them to manage those resources and put them to work while he was gone. Well, one servant didn't do anything with the resources, just buried him in the ground. The other two, though, took the resources and employed them did what what they could with them to create a return, not for themselves, but for the master. And when the master comes back, he meets with the servants, and to the one who didn't do anything, he said, you're wicked and lazy, depart from me, I don't want anything to do with you. To the other two, who doubled the resources that the master had entrusted to their care, he said to them, Well done, my good and faithful servants. You've been really responsible with this small amount that I've given to you, and now I want to give you more to be responsible for. Let's celebrate together. What's Jesus teaching in this parable, this story? He's telling us that our responsibility as his people is to learn how to be good stewards, not just consumers, but to be stewards who recognize God as the owner and we as the managers, and it's our job to manage those resources wisely, our time, our abilities, our physical and our financial resources, to say, God, how do we take these things which you've given to us and use them in such a way that it produces a return for your name? You see, when we follow Jesus, we learn how to be stewards, which takes us on this journey of generosity. Second move that we have to make. We have to go not just from being a consumer to being a steward, but we also have to go from being served to servant. Go from being served to being a servant. Again, in our culture, we are trained from the moment we are born to be selfish. Part of it is just the innate sinful nature that is in us, right? I've always said, I never have to take my kids aside when they were born to say to them, now, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. They just kind of figure it out on their own because it's part of human nature. But as we begin to follow Jesus, what happens is we move away from selfishness and self-centeredness to living generously. Our lives open up and it begins to become about other people. We realize that we are not here just for ourselves. We're here for others. That part of the meaning and purpose and fulfillment that we are looking for in life cannot be found in just getting more. That's consumption. It's found in when we learn to take what God has given to us and we use it to help other people. 
that is always more fulfilling than just getting more for yourself every single time. And so we learn in this culture uh, to be served. That, that's what our culture teaches us, right? It's all about you. And, and so if you want it, you should have it. If it makes you feel good, well, you should experience that. And if it makes you happy, well, we couldn't conceive of a life that wouldn't allow you to have something that makes you happy. Because after all, it's all about you, right? It's as if we are taught and trained from the earliest days of our life that our lives are a blockbuster hit movie starring you. And we put ourselves at the center and we say, we are here to be served. Right? And we want to be served. Except when we follow Jesus, he teaches us a different way to live. And he doesn't just teach us with words, he teaches us with his example. In Matthew chapter 20, he tells a story, he says all of the Gentiles, in other words, all of these people who are out there who don't know God, who aren't living for me, those people, when they step into positions of leadership, they make it all about themselves. They lord it over the people they lead. And it's all about serving the person at the top of the pyramid. Jesus said, among my followers, it must be different. And then he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus teaching us here? Jesus is saying, listen, if anybody on planet earth has the right to demand service, it is me. But Jesus himself, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. He gave up his divine privileges. And instead, he decided to become a servant. And if we're following him, we'll become servants too. Right? We'll take whatever God has given us, our time. Right? Some of us are so busy, we can't imagine serving people around us. And what I would say to us is we got to become less busy. Or maybe we need to be busy with different things. To carve things out of our life that are just about serving us or meeting our needs so that we can free up space in our lives to serve others, meet other people's needs, and make a difference for the kingdom of God. We're called to use our time. We're called to use our talents. God's given us passions, and he's given us spiritual gifts, and he's given us abilities that can be used to make a difference for the kingdom of God, make, make this world different and better. Not just inside of the church, but out in the community, in your work environment, on the street where you live, the people that you interact with. God's given you all of those resources to use so that the world can become what God wants it to be. So his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth just like it is in heaven. That's, that's why we're supposed to use our time and our talents and our physical resources. Right? We don't have physical resources so we can be served. We have physical resources so we can use them to serve others and to meet needs. Yeah, of course our physical resources are going to meet our needs and, and God will provide for our needs. But, but, but when we have the surplus, it's not just so we can have more. So we can help, so we can serve, so we can make a difference. Right? We are called not 
to be served. We are called to become servants. And when we are becoming servants, we're becoming like Jesus. Right? He became a servant. One more move. From consumer to steward, from served to servant. And then third, we have to go from being a container to being a conduit. Right? A container is something that is designed to hold resources. And I think sometimes we come into our lives and we think that our job is to kind of build a container that can hold as much as possible. Because we think that there are limited resources in this world and we better get ours and we better protect it and keep it safe and make sure no one else can get to it because we only get so much. So we, we build this container, and then we might even ask God to bless us, to fill the container. But here's what happens. No matter how big of a container you build, at some point, if you have all of the blessings in the world, it gets full. And the only way for you to experience more of God's blessing is not to build a bigger container. It's to actually Cut a hole in the container and let your container become a conduit. So that all of the resources that are in that container that you've built actually begin to flow out to other people. Because at the end of the day, that's why God gives us blessings. God doesn't give you blessings so you can be blessed. If you think that, you have made too big of a deal of yourself. You're still on the throne. You're still at the center. God says, no, no, it's not just about you. I want to bless you so you can bless others. This is what God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Of course, in Genesis 12, he's not Abraham yet. He's just Abram. But in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you, Abram, and all of the nations on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. It's not about being a container. It's about being a conduit. The wise writer of Proverbs uh, picks up on this theme, and it's all throughout Proverbs. But one of my favorites is Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, where it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and greatest part of what's been entrusted to your care. And when that happens, your barns will be filled to overflowing. I don't even have a barn, but I want it to be filled to overflowing. Right? This is what the Proverbs say. If you honor God with your wealth, if God looks at your life and he sees a person who takes what he has already given you and you're using that to say, God, I'm going to give that back to you. I'm going to let you do whatever you want to do with those resources. Guess what God sees in you? A person that he can give more to because he knows that when he gives it to you, it won't stop with you. It will continue on to others. God can trust you with more because he already knows you've learned that it's not about you. Paul writes this very same idea in the letter that we've been looking at in this series, 2 Corinthians. 
In 2 Corinthians 9, he talks about the fact that God's the one who supplies seed to the sower. So what you have comes from God, and you take that out into your field. And if you sow it sparingly, well, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow it generously, you will reap generously. And as he continues to unfold this teaching, he comes to this point where he says, God's going to give you everything that you need so that in every situation, your needs will be met and you will have enough left over to share with others. Listen, God wants to pour out blessings in your life, but he won't do that if you're trying to be a container. We don't want to have to have an episode of Christian hoarders, right? Where we just build containers and collect blessings from God and pile them up and hoard them in our homes until we can't get out. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to be people who as soon as blessings come from God, we just share them. Why? Because we are generous people. And why would we become generous? Because God is generous. And we want to be like him. That's why we do it. I know some of you are thinking to yourself, here, you know, here I am at church and, and all they talk about is money. And I just want to let you know, we don't talk about giving and money and blessings because, because we want something from you. That's not why we talk about it. We talk about it because we want God's best for you. And, and what I know is that stingy people aren't fun people to be around. They are not enjoying life. They are not happy. I promise you. Generous people, though, they're the people that you want to be around. They're inspiring. They're life-giving. They're full of joy and hope and faith. Why? Because they're walking in a relationship with God. They're following Jesus, and their lives have opened up wide. And they've learned what it means to receive blessings from God and to give them out as quick as you get them. Because when you do... And as all of that happens, the world becomes different and the world becomes better. So what do we do with this? We're at the end of this service and there is a football game this afternoon. Let me give you real quick four things that I think you can do as next steps. First, some of you need to give. And here's the money talk. You knew it was coming, right? One of the reasons we give as Christians, not just to meet needs, not just to make sure the church has resources to do its work in the world, that, those things are true. But one of the reasons we practice giving is because it is a spiritual discipline which forms in us generosity. When we give 10%, which is the historic kind of gift that God has asked his people to give down through the ages, 10% of everything that comes into our lives, when we do that, what we are reminding ourselves of, first and foremost, God owns the 100% that just came into my life. And I'm going to give 10% of that back to him as a way to honor the Lord with my wealth and with the first and best that God has given to me. When we do that, not only are we reminding ourselves 
God owns it all, but we're teaching ourselves that we need to be wise with the other 90%. Because now, instead of 100% to meet our needs and wants, we only got 90%. And again, I'm not an economist or a mathematician, but 90% is less than 100%. But here's what I've learned in my journey with the Lord. 90% with the Lord is always more than 100% without him. Every single time. And by the way, for those of you who don't give anything, just start with 1%. This is the only command in the Bible where God says, I dare you to test me in this. God actually invites you to try it out. He says, I'm, I'm gonna show you so just start, just give. Now, I would encourage you to go big and give the whole 10% right off the top. But for some of you who are just baby steps, just start with 1%. And if you're still okay a month from now, jump it to two. And by the time we're one year from now, you'll be giving the full 10%. Just do that. Because when you give, you are practicing the spiritual discipline to become generous. Secondly, some of you just need to help. Some of you, uh, I'm going to invite some of you to serve on a regular, weekly, consistent basis. But some of you are like, I am not ready for that. My schedule is so jam-packed full. There's no way I could do that. I'm just going to ask you to find a way that you could jump in and help. Maybe that's serving one time a month. Maybe that's just serving at a one-time event. We've got some opportunities coming up. For example, next Sunday, Church at the Y, we still need some help. It's one time. We're not doing Church at the Y every week. We're doing it one time. Next Sunday, we won't be here. We'll be down at the YMCA, and we're going to have church down there. It's going to be a great time. We need help. Just jump in and help for one Sunday and just serve. Use your time, use your talents and abilities, and help. Third, discover. Some of you need to discover your passions and your gifts and your abilities, and you can do that as you help. You jump in, you find these opportunities to help and serve, and, and as you do that, um, you begin to discover what you're good at, what you're not good at. Right? Uh, for example, uh, another opportunity for some of you, you, you might be a person who sings or you think you can sing. Some of you know that you can't sing and for the next couple of minutes here, just tune this out. This is not for you. Okay? But for those of you who can sing or think you can sing, our choir is going to be starting back up during the month of September. And so if you want to come and sing, we're doing that one time a month. You can come to rehearsal. You can sing on Sunday morning. The first rehearsal is September 22nd, Wednesday night, right back here in this choir room. You can go right through that door there, and the choir room is to the right, 6.30 p.m. We would love to have you. Now, again, if you can't sing, don't. Don't. <laughs> Don't do that. But if you can sing or you think you can sing, just come. And we want you to be a part of it. You can jump in and help. And as you do those kinds of things where you just jump in and help, you'll discover, am I good at this? Am I not? Do I like this or not like this? And all of that, those are all clues to how God has wired you to serve in his work in this world. Discover how God has created you so that you can make the difference God has called you to make. And then fourth and finally, join the dream team. 
We have this team that we've assembled, team of servants who serve on a regular and consistent basis. They serve inside of our church to make things happen, and they serve out in the community to help us reach the people God has called us to reach. And these are regular, ongoing serving opportunities. We have training, equipping, development, resourcing for people who are on the dream team because we know that we need a team to make God's mission and vision a reality here at Lakeview Church, and we want every single person to be on the dream team. Now, we know that many of you have already been to a dream team orientation, but there uh, are some of you who have not been to a dream team orientation. You're like, why would I do that? Why is that important? Well, because we want everybody to be a part because we want you to learn to go from being served to being a servant. And so joining the dream team is not just a way that we get things done. Joining the dream team is a spiritual discipline where we together as a community of faith say, God, shape Christ-like character in us. So you say, well, when's the next dream team orientation? In about five minutes. So if you've not been to a dream team orientation, come. It's right back here in what we call the FLC, the Family Life Center Conference Room. And go right out those doors where the exit sign is to my right, to your left. And then you're going to turn right just past the cafe and go into that room. I promise you will be done before the Colts game starts. Okay? So if that matters to you, don't use the Colts as an excuse to not join the dream team. Go to that orientation, and that will give you an opportunity to know all of the opportunities that are available to you. I've talked for a long time. I just want to come back to our main point. We want every single person at our church to follow Jesus. And we want every single person at our church to live generously as a result of following him. And next week, we're going to talk about how a life of following Jesus and living generously leads us to be a community of people who are making a difference, changing this world for the glory and honor of God. So let me pray for you, and then Kale is going to come and send us out. God, thanks so much for this time that we could be together today in this place. Lord, make this a church where people follow Jesus and learn to live generously. God, don't let us live our lives as consumers, as people who just want to be served and as containers. Lord, help us to shift and move and change through the help of your Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus. Lord, make us stewards. Make us servants. Make us conduits and channels of your blessing to this world so that our lives truly count for something that matters. And for all that you do, we will give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.